When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It is my curse. Some might say it's definitely the curse of my co-host, who doesn't really want to be involved. At times, is ambivalent, but she knows a lot about the Rock Hall because we're going on four years of this at this point. Oh, my God. And uh, it's the skeptic, the voice of the people, Kristen Stuttered. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Joe. You know, I really caught your eyes during your intro and your eyebrows were waggling out of control. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. excitement, you can really tell that we're in the thick of, are we in ceremony season? What are we in? At this point, it's ballot season. Ballot season. Yeah, the ballot has come out. It's exciting. We're covering artists. We're diving deep. Something we hadn't done in a long time, but we're back to it. Let's bring in our guest. Very excited to have her with us. Music journalist and, you know, someone who caught my eye because recently she published Five Reasons Carly Simon Should Be in the Rock Hall. And so feels like the right person to talk to. Let's bring her in. Allison Rapp. Hey, Allison. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yay. Happy to have you. Now, we have not talked to you before. So first thing I want to figure out is what is your reference level for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It is a peripheral institution for a lot of people. Uh, It's not paid attention to as much as you would think, given its alleged importance. But uh, what are you coming in to this show with? Yeah, I mean, of course, I am obligated by my job to pay attention to the rock hall. I mean, that's kind of the, the baseline. But apart from that, you know, I've I've always kind of had an ear tuned towards the rock hall just because it involves so many of my favorite people. So I have a lot of respect and admiration for the organization just kind of as a whole and the people who run it can't be an easy job, I imagine, from year to year. Mm-hmm. But I have also, you know, in recent years, I've never really been ashamed to admit that I'm, I'm no rock and roll hall of fame purist or traditionalist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm one of those people who's always subscribed to the belief that, you know, rock and roll is an inherently malleable, fluid term, and that's kind of the point of it. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of my perception. That's where I come at from the Rock Hall. But again, you know, I have been paying attention, especially in the last couple of years, because I feel like it's been getting a little bit more traction, a little bit more attention online. And so I'm really excited about this year, 2022. I think you're right to have noticed that there has been a turn away from traditional classic rock, you know, an institution that is 
is completely organized and decided by the oldest white men you can think of. While there's still plenty of remnants of that type of decision making within the Rock Hall, it definitely does feel like it is going towards more interesting places now. I mean, some may say it all really took a turn just after our show started. Um. <laughs> yeah, the, the strong, strong influence of our show alone really is the inflection point that scholars will be looking back on. I'm going to start telling people that. I'm going to I'm going to start pointing people in that direction. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We really need to to push that out there. So, the ballot is out as we have discussed and Allison, as a way to get to know you, why don't we take a look at this ballot and if you have five choices here, as though you were a Rock Hall voter, who would be on Allison Rapp's ballot? This is such a hard question because even when this ballot came out, I remember I said to people, I was like, this is really strong, like through mm-hmm. and through. Mm-hmm. I was really happy with this. There really isn't anybody on this list that I would be upset about them getting into the Rock Hall. That is, I would say, the main feature of this ballot is there's no immediate uh-uhs. Exactly, which makes it so much harder. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. If I really had to narrow things down, I've thought about this a little bit. I would say Dolly Parton, New York Dolls, MC5, The Rhythmics, and Carly Simon. I think if I really had to dig deep and narrow it down, that would be my picks. But if you were to ask me that question like in an hour or tomorrow, (laughs) I might think about it a little bit more and change it. Really interesting top five as well. The early rock picks, some of the Mm. the older acts on the on the ballot, Mm -hmm. although not Dion. You know, yeah. Who almost made your top five? Who who were some of the close calls? It's funny. Actually, last year I did a piece for Dion as well. I did a five reasons for her. So I could make the case for her as well. I do kind of have a little bit of a soft spot for the metalheads. I feel like they deserve Judas Priest a little bit after the last couple of years. So Mm -hmm. that I can see. I'd love to see Kate Bush as well. I think she's super deserving. But again, I mean, I could go through every single person on this list and probably find something good to say about each of them. I think that's both a point in its favor and kind of not in its favor is... But what are you supposed to do here, especially when you're only supposed to pick five? Mm -hmm. It almost feels like a ranked list would be easier to do than to almost arbitrarily cut it off after five choices. Because, yeah, who's to say the fifth choice is going to be that much more deserving than your sixth? Yeah, there's no real like differentiation between between those things. Yeah, I'm curious. So far, we've we've talked to two people and these are just, you know, prospective ballots and we will soon get to our exhaustive talking to people who have ballots. But I think everyone's voting for Dolly this year. She seems like kind of a shoe in. And I I know a lot of people are very upset about it. Or maybe that's just the Facebook crowd that I happen to see. So <laughs> you know are them. seeing some upset. I guess I'm just like, I would know. love to, yeah. to hear about that. Yeah, you know, I, I think it depends on like, yeah, it depends on what social media platform or whatever it is that you're, and mm-hmm. I'm certainly not saying that you should go to social media for your answers to these kinds of questions at all. Yeah, or go to social media at all. Or do it at all. Yeah, I yeah. just happened to do it because I, you know, was curious about that kind of thing. You know, I find that on Twitter, a lot of people are much more like, yes, Dolly Parton, finally, the queen is going to make it into the rock, mm-hmm. all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But on Facebook, there's a little bit of a different demographic, just generally speaking. And they're the ones rooting for Judas Priest. They're the ones who were upset about Iron Maiden last year. And I, I don't yeah. mean to 
to kind of diminish mm. like those opinions at all. I think they're actually quite valid. But I don't think that you can discount Dolly Parton getting into the Rock Hall when, you know, Johnny Cash is in the Rock Hall, Hank Williams is in the Rock Hall, Carl Perkins mm-hmm. is in the Rock Hall. All those different people are in the hall and definitely deserve to be in there. So I have no problem with Dolly at all. I really hope she gets in. It seems like you're implying, and I would agree with you, that there's little more old school rock and roll gatekeeping in I Facebook. Am. Uh <laughs> You know, drawing lines about what is not so much rock and roll, but what is rock. Yes. And forgetting about the origins of this music and thinking a little more narrow-mindedly about what fits in that little white box. 100%, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. You know, I don't spend a ton of time seeing the the Rock Hall discourse, dare I say, on Facebook, but it does not surprise me seeing... The other types of discourse I see sometimes on Facebook. It gets a lot more entertaining when you can kind of just like take a step back and be like, it's fine. It's just, it doesn't really matter in the long run. You know, this is just about a bunch of good music um, and you can like what you like and not what you, you know, don't like. But um, mm-hmm. it, it, just, it, gets, it gets a lot more fun when you let that part of it go. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and to argue the genre question, it almost feels like if they make the ballot, the argument's over. The argument, yeah, exactly right. that. Like, why are we continuing to, they made the ballot. Now this is, these are your choices. It's like kind of the point of the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about Carly Simon. I'm excited to talk about Carly Simon. And let's start with a personal question, which is, you know, what is Carly? It sounds much harder than it is. It sounds oh, like it's going to be much deeper <laughs> yeah, than it is. Yeah. I saw your face. You were like, well, okay, let's get into let's it. it. I'm holding yeah. my hands in the prayer position to show that I am a serious interviewer here and that this podcast is taking a turn towards the serious inquiries. Now, I was just curious about what, on a personal level, like what's your connection to Carly Simon? Like, do you remember hearing her music for the first time or anything like that? Ooh, I don't know if I remember the like exact first moment hearing mm-hmm. her. I would definitely say, I mean, it was almost certainly You're So Vain. I feel like that's kind of just like the entry point for so many people and I was no different. And I must have been like 12 or 13 or something like that. And I was really into Joni Mitchell. Like I was a big, big, still am, of course, a very big Joni Mitchell fan. And that was kind of my reference point and that, that was my ground zero for that kind of songwriting. But then hearing You're So Vain and having that, it almost kind of like waltzes in that intro and she says son of a con and I thought that was like the coolest intro to a song I'd ever heard she like whispers it you know it's so sultry and like it's easy to forget the way that song starts too yes because you think of the chorus but it starts Mm -hmm. with this very strange bass plucking from Klaus Vorman Mm -hmm. it's almost like he's doing some sort of like finger picking exercise on the bass which is unusual And it's like one of those songs that it doesn't hit immediately. It has some stuff to kind of unpack in the beginning as it leads its way into the song. Yeah, and especially too, if like if you're listening to it on like a crummy radio or something like that, you don't really pick up on that as much. Whereas mm-hmm. like, then if you toss on some good headphones, it suddenly becomes that much more powerful. And I just remember thinking that, that was like the coolest, hippest thing ever. And I hadn't really heard that kind of songwriting before. And I was a really big Joni Mitchell fan. And suddenly it was this other door into a much slinkier style of songwriting had been opened. And I, I thought that was really neat. And I also really loved her alto range voice too. That was really interesting to me because, you know, I, I couldn't necessarily sing along with all of Joni Mitchell, but I could sing along <laughs> to all of Carly Simon. And that was like a really cool thing for me. 
Right. It, it, it becomes a little bit more accessible. Yeah, for sure. Because when you hear someone like Joni Mitchell or any number of artists who have an incredible range or can really get super high falsetto, mm-hmm. it almost becomes like otherworldly and you can appreciate it. But there's something about a song that you can sing along to that allows you to relate to it that much more deeply. Yeah. And especially a song like You're So Vain, being able to hit all those notes like that's I feel like a really powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's it's kind of a, a fist pumping song too it's an anthem well it's an anthem and it's like a fun you know it's just nice to hear an indictment like a a female indictment of masculine vanity is a real rare flipping of the script if you will (laughs) and i yeah so that's like even more fun and feels like uh, empowering um (laughs) Um, empowering i think the word maybe um, I, I think uh, if I may, empowering, uh, I'm not sure, or whatever. Yes, sorry. If you have time, it's Only fine. if you want, only if you want. Yeah. yeah, no worries if not. No worries if not, exactly. Um, well, let, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Carly Simon's background. I think we've mentioned it now, once. Now, you mentioned it on the show before, yeah. a thing I didn't know. I My relationship to Carly Simon is only through my mom, and we had Carly Simon's greatest hits when I was a kid in the late 80s. It was like a very big staple of my life and mm-hmm. stuff. And I remember there is a version of Coming Around Again that goes into the Itsy Bitsy Spider. Spider. Again. The I remember just that. I loved that song so much. It combines two like, things you love. I was a uh, child. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I just love the cycle of life and then children singing. But um, yeah, I had no idea that she came from such a privileged background until you mentioned it the other day, Joe. And just quickly, if, if we're all chiming in on our entry into Carly yeah, Simon. Yeah, what's your entry into Carly Simon? Well, it's funny. I think people around our age, it is, it's music that your mom likes. And it's- My mom did not like Carly Simon. Is that right? Is that true? <laughs> but to be fair, my mom was like, I mean, my mom was like a quasi Peter Frampton groupie and like turned me on to Led Zeppelin and like David Bowie and all that like weird British stuff. So she was like okay. far removed from that. <laughs> yeah. So Carly wasn't hard enough for your mom. Carly was nowhere near hard enough. <laughs> That's really funny <laughs> because I think for like, my mom and, and people that I think of like my mom, it's like, it's not offensive. It's got maybe a little bit of an edge and that's mm-hmm. fun. And there's some women's lib of that era that is enticing, but is still pleasant music. And my mom splits the difference because my mom is a huge like hard rock fan, loves hard rock. That's what I would say. I would describe those kind of bands you were just saying for your mom is like kind of just having a harder, more edgy, masculine energy. Uh, and my mom liked it all. She liked them both. She really loves hard rock and she really liked Carly Simon and Carol King, especially mm-hmm. like those ones as well. And there you have it. And that's, you know... <laughs> The three types of mothers. (laughs) Full stop. There is, we've fully represented them all. There is no other. Yeah, completely covered all moms. Carly Simon is of Simon and Schuster fame. Her father was the Simon part of Simon and Schuster. So she comes from publishing royalty, you know, a very high profile, privileged upbringing, a status that I think rock critics, especially at that time, who want more grounded music coming from artists who had to fight for it. I think wrestled with that and struggled with that. Carly Simon had a short career with her sister, 
mm. as part of the Simon sisters. The Simon sisters. I mean, that sounds like a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that sure does sound like a thing. Just going off <laughs> of name alone. Yeah. In the 60s, Lucy and Carly, Simon, were the Simon sisters. Uh, and they had moderate success during kind of the folk explosion. And there's a song called Winkin', Blinkin', and Nod, which is their probably most known song. Winkin' and blinkin' and nod one night, sailed off on a wooden shoe, sailed down the river on And it, it almost seems like this was a hobby. Yeah. I'm also seeing on a Google that this was originally a poem by Eugene Field. Like a children's poem. Yeah, children's yeah. poem. You know, I feel like in the 60s, it was kind of like also the thing to do is sing with your siblings and have the sibling band kind of thing. And so that led right into one another, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was, like I said, a hobby. They were not on a huge label. They were on Cap Records, K-A-P-P. Some people would have loved to be on Cap Records, though. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. you always sure. want. <laughs> I don't mean to diminish. Just thinking about all the people who couldn't get signed by Cap Records and they're hearing this right now. They're feeling pretty left out. And they put out a few albums. Not taking it seriously, Carly was still at Sarah Lawrence. And I want to say her sister became pregnant or something. And she went a different way. And then Carly, she had like a little taste of fame, but then she reverted back to a normal life. And I think she had even, there had been questions of, oh, maybe you'll do a solo album. But I think she was turned off by some really gross misogyny from people like Albert Grossman, who was Bob Dylan's manager, and she stepped away from all that for a little bit before she reemerged. Albert Grossman, name a little on the nose, if you ask me. <laughs> Very exactly. Much so. And yeah. if he works with Bob Dylan too, that tells you everything you need to know right there. Yeah. But, you know, at the very least, she had the uh, the sense to be like, I don't want to be involved with what whatever is happening here. I need to do it my way. And then when she finally decided to give music a go again, she initially, not unlike Carol King, wasn't looking to be a star. And then James Taylor convinced her <laughs> that she could get Well, <laughs> not quite, not but enough. obviously James Taylor plays a big part in her story. But she was looking to just write songs. When she recorded her first album, she thought this would be a good way to get the songs to people. So then they would maybe say, oh, I want to record that song more famous people. The story, what happened was they released these songs. She was a little confused as to why she was asked to do some covers. If the whole point was to get her songs out there for other people to record, why was she recording covers? And then she got a call if she wanted to perform at the Troubadour opening for Cat Stevens. And this is something that's kind of true throughout Carly Simon's life is that she's got nerves. She's a little cautious and sometimes has stage fright and she didn't want to do it. And she made a compromise, knowing that this would be like the perfect way to get out of this. She said, okay, I will do the show at the Troubadour, but I need Russ Kunkel to be the drummer. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. And she had known this guy was on tour with James Taylor, who she hadn't met yet, but she just knew. And she was like, okay, I'll, I'll say that. She's going to throw a wrench in it so that she doesn't have to. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Do you know what happens? James Taylor gets into a motorcycle accident. Well, that's right. <laughs> He gets into a motorcycle accident and their tour has to stop. Russ Kunkel becomes available 
And then so now she has to do this show at the Troubadour opening. And everybody for, was getting into car accidents or motorcycle accidents. Dylan was, had one. Like everybody. <laughs> yeah. I know. Motor, yeah, motorcycle and car accidents. It's not a good year for that, no. And really just historically with with rock and roll, uh, vehicle yeah. accidents have really changed the course of rock and roll history. <laughs> I know. Imagine if that hadn't happened. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she had to go do the Troubadour. And then things started to snowball from there. She started to get more attention. And again, you wonder how much of this is a, like the story that's being told is kind of like an aw shucks. Like, I didn't want it. You never know the, the true intentions behind these things, but that is how Carly Simon's career began. Wow. She got conkled. I'm going to call it the conkle effect. It's conked. what happens. It's what, yeah, oh no. Yikes. Can we start getting that? Absolutely uh, not. We're not, no? we're not floating that, that. We're not floating that as a new phrase, but that's what you call it when, you know, you think you're going to protect yourself and you wind up, it, it all comes back on you. And yeah. the other thing, maybe I'm misremembering this, but wasn't her family also not necessarily all that, you know, she had a little bit of a strained relationship with her parents and like mm-hmm. that whole situation at home. Uh, You know, she had a a strained relationship with her father who had passed before this. And there's this thing of Martha's Vineyard, that place to me. And I don't know if this has the associations with other people, but like she was like a Martha's Vineyard girl, which like to me, uh, it starts to flesh out. It pings some privilege. Yeah. Who she was and who her family was. And it's funny. James Taylor is also a, he's a Martha's Vineyard guy. And they think maybe they had potentially met each other when they were teens or kids running around on Martha's (laughs) Vineyard. And, you know, we mentioned Russ Kunkel. She would and this is this is something that I think was a knock against her for a long time, but I think with the right context, I was going to say she had a relationship with Russ Kunkel later, and she famously had relationships with a lot of famous and well-known men, but she never hid from that. Mm-hmm. And she was this wave of feminism that was like, I'm liberated. This is fine. I can have relationships with whoever I want. I'm allowed to date around. I'm allowed to do whatever I want. Exactly. While that spirit was, I think, in the air, I still don't think anyone quite like Carly was just so open and public about it. And to her favor, I mean, when you talk about a song like You're So Vain, the most speculated about song in the history of popular music, potentially. Like, you can still get a headline out of, like, is this person who you're so vain is about? <laughs> it's true, yeah. To this day, to this very day. That combined with, like, the fact that, like, oh, we know people that she was with. And I, I don't think this was the intention, but it, it keeps that speculation machine going, which in in itself is a publicity machine. I don't necessarily think that, I, I think there's a weird kind of combination that went on between her not doing any of that on purpose at all and also simultaneously doing all of it on purpose and her not really necessarily knowing where one began and the other ended. And again, like to your point, that kind of mentality and that kind of attitude, that particularly feminist attitude was something that people weren't hearing in Joni Mitchell or Joan Baez or like any of those other acts at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, this this is the era of the singer songwriter. She is firmly in that era. And, you know, what defines that era beyond it being singers who are songwriters, you know, that's where it starts, but it's also the confessional nature of these songs Mm -hmm. that is what is so 
interesting and important about this about this time period mm-hmm. like you said it's she approaches it her own way so she gets on stage she opens for cat stevens and then does she get swept into a music scene like how was it that this kind of opportunity had come her way was it just through she had been writing songs for other people or that's a good question it's really through her label electra records and jack holzman who is a Rock Hall inductee, who was the, the head uh, of that label. In some stupid side category where he You know which one, non-performer, on non-performer, of course. But yeah, no, that, that's, that's an important I just love to step. see executives finally getting their due. You know, for me, I just love to see them, oh, finally, exactly. It's just so refreshing. Yeah, no, but that's an important step in this whole thing is that she was looking for a label. They say that Clive Davis threw her tape across the room and made some disparaging remark about her, although she would later be on Arista Records, which is ironic. Uh, And when it came to Jack Halsman, he used to do a thing with his kind of board of people, the important people at at the record labels, that they'd listen to the music and then they'd all vote. And if it's a majority, yes, they would sign the artist. And everybody said no to Carly Simon. But he has veto power because he's in charge of the whole thing. And so he was like, I think you're all wrong. I think there's something there's something about this person and this artist. I'm going to sign her. And so it was through him and the A&R person that she was assigned that started to make moves towards developing her as an artist, whereas she maybe was thinking, uh, I don't know, maybe I could write some songs for some famous people. Mm-hmm. That's really how it was the machinery behind A&R and publicity at Electra Records that got her out there. But you know, it's funny, she, she performed at the Troubadour, but Carly Simon is very much a New York City artist. That's in her bones. You know, sometimes I think when we think of the singer-songwriter era- Yeah, I was going to say, because the singer-songwriters have such a like Laurel Canyon kind of California reputation. Yeah, that's true. But I think also I, you know, read that, I mean, she was up at Sarah Lawrence. She was a train ride away from Greenwich Village. I mean, she was, you know, had access to all of that stuff that was going on there. So, you know, she very much got the East Coast side of that, absorbed a lot of the East Coast side of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and she- Famously lived in Central Park West, like in the building that Mia Farrow lived in and like was, she was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not, it has nothing to do with her music, but just the the circles that Carly Simon ran in throughout her whole life. There's stories of her, like when she's growing up in like this nice house with her publisher father, where it was like, Jackie Robinson stayed with us for a little bit. And it's she like. One of the last people to visit Jackie Kennedy too mm-hmm. before she died, which is just like an insane thing to me. They were very close. Yeah, they, yeah. she wrote a book about about their friendship. But to your point, you know that that kind of wishy washy almost attitude that she had about joining the music scene, I think, was a, a large part of growing up in that really privileged environment. She didn't necessarily have to like make a decision super quickly about who she wanted to be or where she wanted to go, where she wanted to settle down, all of those things. I mean, cause she had all that stuff right there. And so not having to like scrimp and pinch and figure it out early on, I think had a part in that. But anyway, she lived on Central Park West. I mean, who else? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, and exactly. in spite of that, she became a very successful recording <laughs> artist and she persevered. Right, right. A real rags to riches story. Yeah. yeah, I know she has attempted to downplay that however she can, however much we want to believe her. Like if you are privileged, 
you kind of have to downplay that in the public because yeah. you want sympathy. Like the story of a rich person isn't a sympathetic one. A lot of people were doing that kind of thing anyway. I mean, like Bob Dylan famously lied a whole bunch about like where he had actually came from when he first started playing around the village saying that he had hitchhiked from the Southwest or wherever it was. And none of that was true, but he wanted that kind of sympathy card being played. And that was what people really loved that. They loved the sympathy card. And I, I can't say that I blame artists for kind of weaseling their way around that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, success often is about packaging a story exactly right and you know uh the story of well i was wealthy and then i (laughs) gave me ample time to start a music career one that i didn't have to pursue but people push me towards against it's just not quite not quite what you want to hear it doesn't sound (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't quite relate to it. But yeah, the uh, I mean, the Jackie O thing, the it's just constantly with very successful, almost the the kind of social sphere that she was operating in, New York elite mm-hmm. almost. So that's that's kind of the the beginnings of Carly Simon ditched her sister and and rustled her way to the top. What is yeah, what is Lucy doing now? I want to say Lucy Simon is also in music, but like theater composer more so, went to like Broadway, went that route. Poor Lucy. Poor Lucy. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. So now she's just a Broadway composer. All right. Well, yeah. I guess. Pour one out. Yeah. <laughs> Pour one out for Lucy Simon. Okay. So she ditches her sister. She gets conkled. She's <laughs> people are now it, she opens for Cat Stevens. The crowd is like, yay. Oh yeah, big into it, and you know, and from there she, you know, she starts opening for people like Chris Christopherson, and like she just seems like an extremely open, affable, like charismatic person. Like everybody she meets, not only loves her music, but they're like, "I am in love with you, and I need to, I need to be with you." Because she had relationships with both both of those guys. In addition to famously, and I listen, it part it's a part of her story and one that she does not shy away from. I'm not trying to like when she's all these people, but it's like it also adds to the mythology behind you're so vain when you're talking about the one person who I believe you're so vain, she has said one of the verses is it's about because it's about, I guess, three people, but Warren Beatty is one of them. Among Jack Nicholson, the director of five easy pieces, Bob Rafelson, that guy's brother. Paul Samuel Smith, who produced one of her albums, Eddie Kramer, who produced one of her albums. She was a beguiling presence. Enchanting figure. Yeah. And just like someone people wanted to be around. And Mick Jagger is another one. And I don't I don't think it's confirmed that they're ever together, but there was just apparently crazy sexual tension between the two of them. <laughs> That's all it takes. Yeah. yeah. And it's also been pointed out that they don't look dissimilar and there's maybe some narcissistic things at play. That's true. It's true. Yeah, like a similar haircut and oh, like yeah. large mouth. mouths. Yeah. And so like who's perfect for Mick Jagger <laughs> than Mick Jagger sensibly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let, let's start talking about the music and stuff. And we'll do that with the categories, which, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does not have any real criteria for who gets inducted. So we are left often wondering, what does it take to get in the Rock Hall? We don't know. But because I'm a nerd, I backtracked, reverse engineered a list of criteria. And I think if you do well in those, you have a good shot at induction. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. And then when we come back, we're going to see how Carly Simon stacks up in the categories. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. 
we hope over your break that your hair dried in a way that is pleasing to you but only if it was already wet yes oh my gosh <laughs> i don't want it to dry to a crisp if mm -hmm. it was already dry that would be Agree. no good all right carly simon became eligible for the rock and roll hall of fame in 1997 Big Time Snub has never been on a ballot before. It is a strange one that has been missed. Mm -hmm. Just because, to me, she's in the conversation with Joni Mitchell and Carole King. And I guess in a way we did miss Carole King. She was only inducted as a performer last year. But how did she not make it onto a ballot until now? And here we are. System is flawed. You'll never hear me say it. <laughs> She's also never been involved with a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So mm -hmm. she's never inducted anybody. She's never performed there. But let's start with the first category, which is iconic slash recognizable songs. We have already talked about it quite a bit, but she's got one giant iconic song that stands above the rest of them is one of the most iconic songs of all time. You could make an argument that this is the song of the 70s. I, I could see an argument being made and it's, it's your civil. I mean, does anyone want to come after me the most speculated song of all time? I mean, like, what other competition is there? I, I don't know who else would have written something with that kind of, like, longevity in terms of people still, like, you know, like you said earlier, still making headlines about it and still, you know, I remember seeing a headline not all that long ago that was talking about how, like, she revealed the secret to Taylor Swift, like in confidence or something like <sighs> backstage. And that Ooh. was a big headline. Like that was a yeah. yeah. cool story. You know, I mean, that was only a couple years ago. Anytime there is a little bit of news about your Sylvain, it is a headline. It exactly. is very strange. Some comments were, I think, misunderstood from somebody and they thought it was about David Geffen. And so that was like a headline for a little bit, but then that was shown to be not true. The reveal of Warren Beatty. I mean, Warren Beatty, loves that it's about him which is <laughs> ooh and now what would that make him <laughs> yeah, it's, loves it's that so... a song is written about that mm -hmm. I'm so curious nailed it uh, perfect to the spirit of the song he knows his role yeah yeah um she auctioned off the identities what? for charity she auctioned off a secret reveal of the identities to the highest bidder the highest bidder was Dick Eversall NBC executive who ran SNL during like the Eddie Murphy years. And did he have it, to like sign an NDA or something like in order to get? Yeah. How do we not, how, how did this not get I, out there? Call him. Yeah. Right. Well, what if like, you know, you paid to know, <laughs> and then you were not going to just tell everybody because then what did you pay for? Right. Exclusivity. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Wild. Well, yeah. and that song is very, it's absolutely the number one, you know, most well-known Carly Simon song of all time. It's also one that I think like people are still discovering it. Do you know what I mean? I think it's mm -hmm. kind of like one that will go on. It's not going anywhere. I don't think that song's going to fade. No, I mean, the, the hook is undeniable. Well, and it's funny. What a funny turn of phrase. You're yeah, so vain. It, yeah. I bet you think the song is about you. And it's a song, of, you know, it's just like, oh, beautiful. It works as like an Irma Bombeck like yes, line. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it doesn't have yes. to be a song lyric. It stands on its own without even knowing the song but then in the song while being funny you still take it seriously though it yeah. like isn't a joke song no yeah it's not a comedic song but it is it's like funny it's biting it's got a biting wit to it <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
It does though. It does. And speaking of, of Taylor Swift, during that era when Taylor Swift was like having a new bud come out on stage and sing a song with her, Carly Simon came out and they did You're So Vain together. Taylor was on the record as being like, this is like one of the best songs of all time. I love this. And you can see that in Taylor Swift's work. And to this day, when we we're like, which of Taylor Swift's many boyfriends is this song about? It feels yes. very much a spiritual successor to your survey. A to B on that one. The connection is very clear. I'm waiting for Taylor to write a song like that with that kind of biting wit, though, because I don't know if she's quite gotten to that point yet, but it feels like she will. I think she does that, though. I do think that her songwriting is pretty, oh, look what I just said. It can be a little more coy. Maybe that's her persona is a bit more coy mm -hmm, than all that. potentially loses some of the bite that you're, mm -hmm. you're talking about, Allison. Yeah. And when she did Taylor's version of All Too Well recently, it felt like that ignited another discourse storm and that one it's on record is about jake gyllenhaal oh, she should have kept that a secret she should have yeah. told anybody that didn't learn yeah the swifties would have paid big money to know who that was about <laughs> if she had kept it a secret yeah that's an annual charity event <laughs> if you don't <laughs> reveal she reveals who each song is about to you for person, a certain yeah, amount of money oh my god <laughs> Oh, it's genius. You could solve world hunger. I mean, <laughs> we, we could really take down some major issues with that. But yeah, I think about the kind of fuck you anthem from the female perspective. Any of those, they go back to Carly and you're so vain. Not to say that that's the first one, but I think it's an early huge one. And for that, it's pivotal. For sure. Then I think there's a big drop in terms of recognizability. If you have a song that generations of people know, then yeah, there's going to be a big drop. I would say the next one is Anticipation. Anticipation. Anticipation is I have to acknowledge, I think what has kept Anticipation as a song people know is Heinz ketchup commercials. What? It was in a high, I didn't know that. For in like the nineties, was it in one? Decades, starting like not Why long after the song came out. Because you're waiting for the ketchup to come, to come out, out of the, the bottle. bottle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so like I, I think for a lot of people, the ubiquity of that commercial of waiting for the glop of ketchup to come out of the bottle set to the tune of anticipation has kept that song in people's minds. I have I think... no idea. I'm not sure if you're right about that, Joe. You know what? Tweet it, <laughs> Joe. Let him know if that's what you know anticipation from. Uh, let him know if, if you sure... recall with fondness these commercials. I'm sure people will agree with me. I think that's the first time I heard that song. It was like they were bringing back a retro commercial in the 90s or whatever. Okay. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. Taught me something. Okay, so it, now we're on like the second tier. This is where I would throw in Nobody Does It Better. Nobody does it better. Which is a, a rare hit that she didn't write mm -hmm. because it was a Bond theme mm -hmm. written by Marvin Hamlish and Carol Bayer Sager. Did not know that was a Bond theme. Like, really just thought it was a Carly song. Well, she says, the spy who loved me in the lyrics of that song. Like heaven above me, the spy who loved me is and, that, and then, Allison, what would you throw up there as songs that are recognizable from Carly's catalog? Yeah, because now you're kind of getting into the territory where it's like, if you're not necessarily actively seeking like a 
Carly Simon album, you might not necessarily be as involved in that. I guess maybe the next tier for me would be like the right thing to do. Or, you know, like legend in your own time. But th these are even to the average. I'm starting to get a little bit deeper already. Legend in your own time. A hero I mean, I feel like, like Let the River Run is, yeah. is one. That was a very popular one in the 80s that was in Working Girl. Not only was it in Working Girl, but it won the Academy Award for Best Song. Carly Simon is one of four nominees this year who has won an Academy Award for Original Song. Did Dolly win one? No. Did Iron Maiden win one? <laughs> 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 Bella Cucci, Iron Maiden, MC5. Uh, it is Lionel Richie for Say You, Say Me for a movie called White Nights. Say you, say me. Annie Lennox won for a song she wrote for Lord of the Rings. And Eminem won for Lose Yourself. Mom Spaghetti. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would say Let the River Run and then Coming Around Again. I like that song. It's very 80s. It feels very, honestly, like our moms grew up, you know? And it's like yeah. now they're moms and they're coming like around again. Into, and they're coming around again. And they're like a little more into soft rock because that has a very soft rock feel. Mm -hmm. Coming around again really is just like one of those ultimate, you're listening to the breeze. I've heard some people call that a little bit of a yacht rock album kind yeah. of thing. I totally can hear Fully, it. fully, fully. It's inoffensive songs for the workplace, baby, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and that's her kind of comeback. Coming Around Again mm -hmm. was a pretty big song. That is also in the number two slot when you're looking at it listens on Spotify. Coming Around yeah. Again, it's right after. It's a good 200 million less than you're so vain. <laughs> uh, but it's still coming in at 80 million, which is a lot. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Yacht Rock because she did a cover of the Michael McDonald era Doobie Brothers song, uh, Keeps You Running. Which, you know, Michael well, that McDonald. That sounds right in her. Yeah, yeah. Is the, is the king yeah. of yacht rock. And she wrote with Michael McDonald, they wrote a song called You Belong to Me, which absolutely has that. Good song. Yeah, like it has that kind of groovy yacht rock vibe to it. We'll talk about the songs a little bit more, but let's do that as we go through the next category, which is classic albums. And listen, Carly Simon has put out a lot of albums, so we don't need to dwell for too long because we could get stuck in this category. But the song that was the biggest hit from that first album, the self-titled album that she was intending to just be a sampler of songs that other people could record, that's the way I've always heard it should be, was the like crowning jewel. It did go to number 10. And then the next album, which came out in the same year, 
back when artists used to do that. People which were is, really doing that, man. I'm, we are learning about a lot of that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Anticipation was the name of the album. Obviously the, the title track legend in your own time is also on that album. And then you get to no secrets, which is the one that has you're so vain on it. And, you know, we're, we're, this is the third album in the space of barely over a year. And that's the one that has the right thing to do on it. Also has the title track, We Have No Secrets. And that's the one, I mean, No Secrets as an album went to number one on the charts. This was the the first platinum album. This was the breakthrough. If there is a classic album, No Secrets is is probably it. And then after that, she had an album called Hot Cakes. Title track, she does rap a little bit. No. <laughs> she does. Joe. Says spittle on the griddle as you drop that batter into that hot butter. Round and brown, piping hot, like as not. What we got is hotcakes. I mean, well, rap is a little bit of a <laughs> loose term, I suppose. But well, I mean, we liked it when Debbie Harry did it. So I don't know. A lot of people did it. And this is 1974. So she's the vanguard. To me, she's the first rapper. <laughs> that hadn't been oh, my um, God. A, a playful album. It also has a song with James Taylor, Mockingbird. It is a cover of a novelty take on the children's rhyme. Inez and Charlie Fox were the ones who came up with that arrangement. And it was a it was a relatively big hit. It went to number five. Gold selling single. Kind of a silly one, but a, a fun one. And Hotcakes also has Haven't Got Time for the Pain. Haven't got time for the pain. That's a Carly song that I feel like was on the radio at least. Yeah, that's another. That's another one. That, that, that one you might even still hear. Am I wrong about that? I, I think, think so. Depending on what context you're talking about, supposedly. But yeah, I. I mean, that one did well. I'm talking the breeze, inoffensive work <laughs> yeah. songs for the workplace. Yeah. How many of those radio stations still exist? I feel like that format has kind of gone to the wayside. Am I wrong? I don't know. We have been really, really into the wave lately. Do you listen to the wave, I, Joe? You mean 94-7, the wave. Yes. I feel like that has more of a groove sensibility. It's, it's more groovy. It's called the, the soul of California. Or right. the, it's like kind of a soul-ish station. That was like such a big format in the 90s and 2000s. Like light and FM type stuff? Light FM or just, yeah, exactly. Just like yeah, I wonder how much your that still office that exists. no one's gonna get upset by i feel like that as a format has gone away but also i'm biased i only really know the formats in los angeles but we don't have a pure light fm i don't think we have anything not exactly like that that's for sure if they have then they've changed a lot <laughs> yeah i think a lot of them gave way to the Bob FM, Jack FM, Jack guys, yes. first name FM. Now listen up though. Now Jack doesn't care who he offends. So <laughs> I'm not playing that in my workplace. No, indeed. He's going to make a racy comment about Kanye West before you go to commercial. Gosh. We don't want that. Proving that you can't say anything these days. It's Jack FM. Hey, oh Pete Davidson, Jack will date Kim Kardashian. Oh my it's God. Like always that's exactly topical, but doesn't really make any sense. Oh, and you don't never understand. mind those things 
still exist. Yeah, yeah. those exist. Like, but those are just yeah, they're playlist stations, though. They, yeah. they don't really have an identity beyond the rude dude at the helm. Take your format and shove it. We're playing what we want. Which is so funny because those stations are 100% determined by committee. Absolutely. Those playlists Here's 100 are not... songs that Clear Channels has told us to play <laughs> in absolutely random order. Terrible. And then she's got an album called Playing Possum, which I think is more known by its album cover than it is by the songs in it. She's wearing like knee-high boots and a short... Very short slip, not a whole lot. It looks like a teddy. (laughs) It looks like lingerie. It's sexy and kind of before, like that was happening, but for a woman to have the sexy woman on the cover be herself. And I think this was not like Sears would not have this album on their shelves. And if you look risque. at all her other album covers, she's looking pretty like casual. She's looking hot, but it's like, oh, I didn't even know I looked hot. Sorry. Oops. Right. No like, secrets. The picture was taken candidly. Yeah. Hot cakes. She's literally pregnant and sitting down and in a rocking chair and then playing possum. It's like, whoa, what's up? <laughs> It's not until the uh, James Bond song in, in 1977, Nobody Does It Better, which obviously is on the soundtrack, not one of her albums. So she's like, she has these pillars of big songs. And then the Michael McDonald collaboration, You Belong to Me, is on an album called Boys in the Trees. But like the late 70s, outside of like a few hits here and there, is a little bit of a lost period. I guess late 70s and the early 80s for Carly, where she's like, she's experimenting with a little new wave, a little disco, and it's not really fitting. There's a great song. It's actually on a soundtrack called Soup for One, which was a forgotten movie, but the soundtrack is now Rogers and Bernard Edwards, and they do a song with Carly Simon called Why. It's... A departure. It's a fun song. It's it's obviously with. Is it funky? It yes, obviously. Like it it's might got be some funky. Funk. And there is a Y remix of Benita Applebaum by fellow nominee oh, Tribe Called Quest. And when and when they both get in this year, they're gonna do it together. <laughs> That's so yeah. Wish, wishful thinking. In a multitude of ways. There's a song called Jesse on Come Upstairs, which went to number eleven. Jesse. And that's nineteen eighty. But yeah, she doesn't really come around again until mm-hmm. eighty-six with coming around again and then let the river run in eighty-nine. One of the things she does do that I think is worth pointing out is 1981. She does an album called Torch Mm. where she does Torch songs and she does kind of standards, Ah, which the idea of an established pop artist doing standards now is an understood move. But back then it was not really like people didn't fully understand what she was doing and they didn't promote it, but it did well anyway. Where did that get on the charts? Because if I'm not... I mean, I could have this wrong, but I'm pretty sure that up until then, all of those albums that you just went through made it to at least top 50. Yes. 
I mean, people kind of have this like notion that she tapered off and like she did. That was definitely true. But still being in the top 50 is not anything to laugh at. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And Torch went to 50. All right. Mm. So yeah, nearly all of them have a song that went somewhere. And I think probably just the strength of the songwriting alone is keeping her fan base happy. Absolutely. There's a sense of consistency, definitely, like through that whole decade that I, I think is one of her strongest suits, definitely. According to the Spotify discography, don't quote me here, there were a lot of albums in the 80s. There was like, Hello, Big Man, Spoiled right. Girl. <laughs> and uh, this, this was as, you know, right before the comeback, kind of the darkest before the, the dawn. These were not doing as well. You know, Spoiled Girl fared so poorly that she had just been signed to Epic Records and she was dropped from Epic after that album. So she only got to release one with that label. It's almost the classic story at this point. You sign with Clive Davis, you're on Arista Records, not unlike Dionne Warwick, then your career is back. And then Clive knows how to turn it around again. Oh, and she's coming around again. And that's and the that's... first one. And it went platinum and went to number 25 and her career was, uh, it was back. Now, we've talked a lot about these albums. Do you guys think that Carly Simon has any entries on the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums list? I would like to think that No Secrets is on that list if Rolling Stone is the publication that I hope it is. Well. <laughs> and it's probably not, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, to, to put any hopes in Rolling Stone uh, is sometimes a futile gesture. It's true. But what do you think, Kristen? Well, I mean, yeah, if there was going to be one, I think it would be No Secrets. I think it didn't make the new revamp. I don't think it made the 2020 revamp, but I bet it was on there in the 03012 versions. That's my take. Okay. So Carly Simon's No Secrets is not on the 2020 revamp. Mm-hmm. It is also not on any of the other lists. All right. There are no Carly Simon albums on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest. Once again, explaining her notable absence from nomination as well. Just meaning like, I don't think she's as, and we'll get into this. I know we will, but I just, you know. Are you ready to transition into talking about the next category? Critical I am. Acclaim? Critical acclaim. <laughs> yes. Then go for it. Well, and I'm more of like coming at, oh God, the words that are about to come out of my mouth. <sighs> I'm coming at it from more of a hall perspective. Ooh. We love to see it. No, we just absolutely hate to see it. I'm just thinking of it like she hasn't been willing to play the game. So it hasn't come around again for her. I I think it's like- We got to stop saying that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) When we first heard her name in the nominations this year, I was like, oh, she's taking the Carol King slot. Everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, Carly Simon, how's she not in already? Dot, dot, dot. And I still think it really could happen, but it is not as much of a shoe in as a Carol King was. And even at points we were like, is Carol going to be okay? Obviously she was fine. Well, I think that Carly is not nearly as critically beloved as a Carol King is, you know? Well, she doesn't have a tapestry. She has the big songs, but she doesn't, I mean, No Secrets comes close, but she doesn't have that one unanimously adored album. She doesn't have a blue. There's not going to be a 500 albums list without blue or tapestry. Yeah, probably not even a top 100 list. And there already is three of them without No Secrets. And to your point too, you know, she's never really fit that like traditional trailblazer model that I think a lot of the Rock Hall people are kind of looking for. I mean, like, and Stevie Nicks a couple of years ago too, she mm-hmm. was kind of a shoe in in that, that category, but she's never really been that super powerhouse figure that I think people 
have come to kind of anticipate, like be like the women, the women in the rock hall, quote unquote, being mm -hmm. that that sort of thing. I think she was a lot more subtle in her table tilting than those other people. But of course, that like you said, that's coming from a rock hall perspective. Yeah, and I think with Stevie, it was like very much she is a big personality, and also she's really super relevant right now. We've kind of got every woman is a witch happening in the past couple of years, and even though yeah, Stevie didn't necessarily have a classic album to say the least her cultural ubiquity and importance was enough to kind of make her just an obvious choice to get in and also i mean i know it was supposed to be compartmentalized but she has rumors Fleetwood Mac, yeah. you know what i mean like even though that's not stevie solo it's it's almost impossible it kind of stevie solo <laughs> i mean a, a lot of the great songs Mm -hmm. are, are Stevie uh, and you associate with her. But yeah. yeah, I mean, something we didn't really, we started to talk about yet, but, you know, like getting into the hall mindset is something we, you know, might make your skin crawl Kristen, but we do it to try and get an idea of what the voters might do or, or even just trying to suss out why she didn't make a ballot for so long. And, you know, she was married to James Taylor for about a decade. And she talks about how You're So Vain was a bigger hit than anything James Taylor had at the time. And their albums tended to come out around the same time. And she would get scared if her albums did better than his. He was insecure and also a heroin addict. And, you know, she was more of a people pleaser. The reason I'm bringing this up is I think the two of them are so linked especially her to him mm -hmm. that I think it would, it was easy for the kind of chauvinistic male rock critic at the time to dismiss her as James Taylor's girlfriend and not appreciate what she was and what she stood for. She got decent reviews at the time, but never anything that was like people were blown away. She's kind of a journeyman in that sense. Like she was consistent. She wrote great songs. She wasn't necessarily trying to make a wild artistic statement or do some sort of experimentation or push the envelope. In not doing that, she was still remained authentic, I think, to who she was, which is something that can get lost in this myth of the daring, challenging artist. Mm -hmm. If your career doesn't incorporate that, you can still be authentic. And I think Carly Simon was authentic. Can I just, you mentioned reviews and I found this one from in Cream Magazine when I was doing a little bit of research for this and I, it's from Robert Criscow. So that immediately should just tell you where I'm going mm -hmm. with this, but I had to, I, I had to write it down. So I was like, yes, no, please. Her. And and he's a, he's a good person to quote from because yeah. he was, did he call himself the Dean of rock critics at, at some point? I, think I bet I like this guy, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like he represents a certain type of rock critic. He was like at the top of that yeah, food chain. Absolutely. And he wrote in Cream at the time that, that new secrets came out he wrote well he was speaking specifically about you're so vain he said if a horse could sing in a monotone the horse would sound like carly simon only a horse wouldn't rhyme yacht apricot and gavotte is this some kind of joke unquote which is and, like and here's know. the thing it honestly is some kind of joke you freaking idiot right like you nailed it you nailed it you got it right on the head <sighs> it's funny to laugh about now but oh my god i just can't even imagine like being carly simon and like seeing something like that in print you know especially what you were just talking about in terms of constantly thinking about where my boyfriend's albums are in comparison to mine yeah get out of here and so there's a clue but you know someone like robert hill 
Kilburn or, or John Landau, other like big name critics at the time, had good things to say about Carly. Maybe not the over the top praise we associate with, say, the way John Landau would talk about Bruce Springsteen, but there was a respect there. And I think it's difficult to, especially for someone who has such a body of work of solid songwriting and confessional songwriting, it is difficult to act like that is nothing, especially when the albums are, are being churned out almost one a year. Well, it's just interesting that we've been able to untie Stevie a bit from Fleetwood Mac, and we've been able to untie Carol King a bit from her husband. We've been able to untie a bunch of other people, like Tina Turner from Ike Turner too, right. who mm-hmm. kind of seems like this would be a logical step for Carly too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm hopeful spiritually. that fills that slot this year. Wow. It's like the wronged woman reparations <laughs> slot. Fun. <laughs> There can only be one each year. Yeah. So let's talk about commercial success. She sold a lot of records. But how many did James Taylor sell? (laughs) Important question to ask and a relevant one. No, but it's like it was a a gradual start. The first two albums hit number 30 on the charts, respectively. But anticipation went gold. And then third album, No Secrets, is platinum. You know, it is one of the biggest albums of the year. It goes to number one. The follow-up, Hotcakes, goes to number three. It goes gold. The next few are selling well. And, you know, she's got another platinum album in the 70s. And then when she has Coming Around Again, she's got another platinum album. And while maybe some of these albums in the middle here aren't hitting gold status, uh, she's releasing so many of them that the numbers are piling up. And also she's someone who her best ofs do really well. Those are like the best selling. Just ask Jackie. Ask our moms. But yeah, I mean, the best of Carly Simon was three times platinum. And she did a thing where because she went across a few different labels, especially in between her comeback, it was a difficult thing to try and get a comprehensive greatest hits that included everything because they were on different labels. And so she did something where she performed them all live and then released a greatest hits live album. Famously had a children's choir joiner for the end of going yeah, around yeah. again. And that one was performed at Martha's Vineyard. Oh my God. She like re-recorded her masters basically like Carly's version mm-hmm. of those. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the Carly Taylor connection Pipeline. continues. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those singles went gold. She has four gold singles. She sold a lot of records. And in connection with the next category, longevity, this is a category where I think she does really, really well. You know, we see plenty of artists who get in the rock hall and they flame out after just a few years. I, I'm just curious what like what your take necessarily is on, on the longevity as a whole, because I, I was thinking about this. Like, this is a huge part of why I actually want the New York Dolls in the rock hall as well, because I feel like longevity as a category has really taken on so many different forms in terms of the conversations that people have about that. You know, like the New York Dolls were around for a hot second and didn't yeah, truly. else obviously at all and yet they are one of the most influential you know punk bands to ever exist so I feel like you know you've got both sides of the coin there that the voters are trying to weigh like okay they were here for just a minute and they did so much in that time or they've been around forever and look what they've done in that amount of time you know yeah that's very true if you can get both then you have like a slam dunk but that's like why those two categories are kind of in play with each other. And if you're not maybe the most obviously influential, something that can be in your favor, have you just been at it? Are you still at it? Like we mentioned the Doobie Brothers before, you know, if their career ended kind of before the Michael McDonald era, they have like a 
okay shot at getting inducted, but then when you include that they had this whole second phase with Michael McDonald and like had a rebirth, then the case becomes stronger. Mm -hmm. If you can have that kind of thing where you span decades, and let's take a look at Carly Simon, you know, the first albums were 1971. She doesn't really let up at all. There's a bit of a, a lost period in the 80s, but you know, she has that comeback in 87 and then she keeps putting out albums. She, she really only stopped until about 2009. I mean, at that point, it's obviously she's not part of the zeitgeist anymore. But even if we're just talking about what is the period of Carly Simon dominance, Let the River Run was 89. So if we want to say that that's kind of the end of the road, okay, that's 19 years, which is that's crazy. Unreal. That pace is mm-hmm. really, really impressive. Yeah. And so I think I think she's got major points in the longevity category. Mm-hmm. But let, let's talk about kind of the other side of that coin, though. Which you already, you know, yes. hit which upon. You which is influence. I, well, I think this, again, kind of goes back to what we were talking about in terms of her not necessarily being the typical, you know, she's not a Stevie Nicks. She's not like a Pat Benatar, for example, who's also on the list. These people who are consistently cited by other female songwriters of this generation, that kind of thing. You don't hear Carly Simon's name come up as often. I hear it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because I'm, I don't know, not listening to as many people who also listen to Carly Simon or something. But I don't, again, I don't think that was ever her intention to be this super huge cultural center of a force or whatever. I think she was more carefully calculated in her influence and was a little bit more subtle again in like tilting the skills from the back ends almost. I don't know if that makes sense, but just not necessarily being at the forefront of I'm going to change the game of female songwriting, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Like she ended up being a pillar of that era almost sneakily. Yeah. And when I think about her influence, I think about the confessional style of songwriting that so often was directed at someone in a biting way. Like we talked about with You're So Vain, but I think it extends to other songs in her catalog. And we talked about Taylor Swift, who mm-hmm. follows that same model. Even if it's not a direct influence, you have to draw it back to Carly Simon. Anytime we get these songs, like if you look at something like Before He Cheats by Carrie Underwood, mm-hmm. a song you might not initially think this is in the oeuvre of Carly Simon. before he cheats is the Carly Dolly connection right there. That's the Carly Dolly crossover. But I also think about the chicks as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some oh, of yeah, their songs. Time. Mm-hmm. They have directly stated that the Carly Simon songbook is important to them. Or even someone like if we're to pick what is number two on the most speculated about songs. I maybe want to put uh, something from Alanis like you ought to know. We know. We do know. I mean, we ask we ask our questions and we go, is it Uncle Joey from Full House? And we House? say, and then she says, cut it out. You'll never know. And that's <laughs> our answer, though. But that's something that I think about. Like, that will make headlines. It, when, anytime there's any additional information about, like, who inspired Jagged Little Pill as an, as an album. Uh, and even, like, you know, Olivia Rodrigo had a, wow. a like, driver's license. That was much speculated about. You said forever, now I drive alone past your street. We're like, whose house is she driving? driving by what's going on yeah 
I mean, truly. And, and so the, these might seem like tenuous connections to the Carly, but I think the spirit of her style of songwriting kind of lives on in those artists. And when you look at directly people who have said that they are inspired by Carly Simon, Tori Amos is someone who has brought her up and someone who thought until recently that she was named after Carly Simon, Carly Rae Jepsen. And who is she named after instead? Carl. She's a female Carl Winslow from Family Matters. That's actually who she is. You know, Carly Simon was named Carly because her father wanted a son. They had had two daughters and they wanted a son. They're going to name him Carl. And then they were just like, well, it's a daughter. I guess she's Carly. And I think just also being a part of the singer-songwriter era, which was just so massively influential as a almost movement and being a big part of that, I think her influence is, is there. That I can't really wrap my head around just thinking about the fact that she hasn't been nominated yet. I like see, again, this like holy trinity of like her and Carol King and Joni Mitchell. And it just seems so weird to me that no one else has drawn the line through the rest of the triangle. I don't know. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Very weird. It seems so obvious, doesn't it? I mean, there's yeah. even a book called Girls Like Us. I've and it that. is, yes. yeah, it is about Joni Mitchell, Carol King, and Carly Simon, the Trinity. Mm-hmm. That it is. Makes sense. And so, yeah, when you think about it like that, it, it seems so obvious. The next category is artistry slash skill. I think her skill as a, as a singer is strong. I think, though. I mean, you used the word journeyman f- to describe her type of kind of ability career. and her career. And I think that's pretty accurate. I made kind of a middling hand gesture when we got to this category. And that feels very, I, I don't want to diminish it, but I don't think it's like her greatest feature. Yeah. No, I think one of the things that, and I think she probably recognized that a little bit too. And one of the things that she was probably, she brought a lot of really great people people into the mix onto these records. The personnel on these records is really, really, really cool. I mean, if you look at the personnel for something like No Secrets, there's like a laundry list of just the cool, like Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney are on that record. And she surrounded herself with a lot of really, really talented people on those records. Mm -hmm. And we didn't even mention that Mick Jagger is is singing the chorus of You're So Vain with her. Nikki Hopkins plays piano on that. Well, um, there's a bunch of just insanely great people on that record. That Jim really Gordon, the drummer, yeah. yeah. Not necessarily to make up for her quote-unquote lack of artistry or skill, but just like knowing the right people to have around you for those kinds of situations is a really big part of making, you know, hit records. Mm-hmm. Her style of singing is not showy. It is very pleasing and she is singing it you know she's a contralto i think technically but that Ooh. that alto uh sound it's like relatable it's accessible and she sings very well in her range in terms of this category i think it's the songwriting skill that you you can't deny the set that tends to make the decisions at the hall kind of fetishize songwriting and we've seen them turn away from that and finally let in some artists that didn't write their own songs but were master interpreters but i think the songwriting skill should appeal to the rock hall the fact that she for the most part wrote all of her songs let the river run is only one of two songs that have won the academy award that is one person doing everything writing mm-hmm. composing singing and bruce springsteen is the other one. the other one's in it yeah springsteen yeah <laughs> For Streets of Philadelphia. And so she is in that way, the type of complete artist, someone who can, with a guitar, write 
arrange and sing a song all by herself, has done that kind of thing. And it's not in a particularly showy way, but it's there and typically is the type of thing that the hall likes to recognize. True. Guys, it's time for the final category. And you know what? I'm going to specialize it. Allison, oh. does your mom know who Carly Simon is? Yes. I actually gave her a call before we started this, this mm-hmm. call. I just want I just want to make sure, you know, I think. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, you know Carly Simon, right? And at first she was like, no, I don't like know her. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, no, like you, you know who she is, right? And she was like, yeah, you're so vain. Like I was an idiot for mm-hmm. asking her something like that. Yeah. So yeah, she does. She's not the kind to like put her on, you know, in the car or something like that. But yes, yes, mm-hmm. she does. That's the key. Do you know this artist, even if you're not a fan of them, even if you don't Mm -hmm, want to listen to their music? Are they ubiquitous enough in our culture that everyone knows them by name and also by face? Yeah. People know who Carly Simon is, what she looks like. She's extremely, extremely famous. Not only does my mom know who Carly Simon is, she had brought her up to me, just been like, Carly Simon needs to get in the rock hall. It was important wow. to her. And that's a little thing your mom, you know, can connect to you about. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Carly Simon is just, she's just a really famous and famous mm-hmm. names do well on the ballot. If we are to have a bottom line when yeah, it comes sure. to this, Famous names. That's what it's about. All right. It's time for our verdict. Should Carly Simon get in the rock hall? Will she get into the rock hall? And will it be this year? Allison, let's start with you. Oh, God, I hate to sound such a pessimist, but I, I don't think it's going to be this year. I think Dolly Parton has really taken center stage in a way that is kind of unshakable. I think so much of that attention has gone to her. That, and, you know, the same applies to like Kate Bush and everybody else, all the other very, very deserving women who are on this list. I don't necessarily know if this is Carly's year. I wish it was because this is the 50th anniversary of No Secrets and You're So Vain this mm-hmm. year. Oh. Mm-hmm. Be very that meaningful. Awesome. She should do a tour. She should do a documentary. But I, I worry about, I know, I worry about, I don't know. I think Dolly's really taken center stage. So I, I kind of feel like that that might overshadow it. So if not this year, do you think soon though? Yeah. I mean, th- we've seen a couple of uh, repeat names in the last two to three years. So I wouldn't be surprised if I saw her again, you know, on the next ballot. I would like to say maybe next five years within mm-hmm. five. Fair. I'm, I, for whatever reason, I felt like switching up the order. I'm going to go next. Whoa. Um, we, this you, is, we what, almost this is always literally start never happened. I'm usually first. The guest is second and Joe is last. Oh. This, I, I, this is, a, you have flipped the script in a major way. What are you, Carly Simon writing a song about a male, a vain male? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why I felt maybe, like. Maybe you're so vain you decided to go second? All maybe right. I wanted to kill you with anticipation. Um, so dummy, I think Carly Simon should get in. It feels to me like super obvious. Like how did this this not happen before? How did we miss her? She should have been in 20 years ago and could have been in some reason was, was not considered. And I don't really know why Mm -hmm. it's like, it's almost just the tastes of the people in the nominating committee. Mm -hmm. I think she absolutely deserves to get in. She's a pillar of that singer songwriter era. The most prominent pillar that is not in. I think she's getting in this year. I think when you look at this name and listen, Dolly, if we're talking about who's the most likely to get in, yes, Dolly Mm -hmm. definitely has the edge over Carly Simon. She's safer than Carly. But if you can believe it, in the world of the Rock Hall, we saw it last year, to everyone's surprise, there is room for more than one woman. I think so. I'm so used to the opposite that I like, I just, it's my default brain. I know. And you're wise, you're wise to go that route. Because we, in the not so 
<laughs> distant past, we have seen that. There's right. one there's space for one woman. Yeah. But perhaps last year was the start of something. I think it might have been. I think she's too famous, too known, and too beloved by more than one generation. Mm. Like she's got the 70s set, but she also was a major player in her late 80s comeback. Mm-hmm. She's ubiquitous in the way that MC5, Fela Kuti, Kate Bush are not. Yeah. She's not a slam dunk. No. But I think she's going to make the cut, especially if it's going to be like six artists this year. I think she's going to make it. It's competitive, but I think she's going to make it. Kristen, what do you think? Listen, I think she should. I think she will. I think she's got a really good shot this year. She's the one that I would be, I'm less sure of it. I do unfortunately think she might actually snake my girl, Pat Benatar, out of the top six. Because there can be more than one, but probably not more than two. But probably not more than two. <laughs> not more than that is really where we're at. Yeah, I think she could take Pat's place, unfortunately. And I really hate to say that. I've been thinking about that too. It really breaks my heart. Pat is very vulnerable. She's very vulnerable. It is killing me. I think she's very well connected in the industry. I think she is a name that people see. They know they go, oh yeah, you're Sylvain. I know. She kind of feels like a bit of a Carol King, but less so in like the, the kind of the duh factor, mm-hmm. the name recognition factor, the beloved singer songwriter factor. Yeah. I think she's probably getting in this year. I will be surprised if she doesn't. Now, if we could also get Pat Benatar in, I would be so, I mean, we're talking wowie wow wow for me. You know, would I trade in Pat for Carly? Yeah, I would. I would do it. Uh, that's just my feelings. I think Pat is a major snub, uh, but that's not what this uh, verdict is about. This is about what I think is going to happen. I think she's getting in in the sixth slot. It, uh, I think it's likely this year. I, I wouldn't put the odds at, she's not a sure thing. She's no Dolly Parton, but she's getting in probably. I'd put her odds at like 70%. Yeah, I think they're good. Now let's say she is getting in. Who gives the speech to induct Carly Simon. Oh, this could go in like so many different directions. I liked in last year Taylor Swift doing Carol King. I like kind mm-hmm. of that like interesting mix of having, you know, the the influence generation. So I feel like it would be really cool to have somebody like Natalie Maines from the chicks, like do something yeah. like that. I have all the chicks. Get I them, have get all them all chicks. up there. Yeah. But I also sneakily want like Mick Jagger to do it or something. <laughs> like I feel like that would yeah. just be funny to like do the whole thing like full circle. Yeah. I mean and he would be a sport about it too. I think so. And like you know, the, the stories are that he is obsessed with her like or at least he was at one point and like would have oh, things would to say he would do and, it. and the fact that he did the background vocals on your so like he's part of one of the biggest things that she yeah that done. would be a great one yeah that'd be so cool. i would love to see that and then he sings it with her afterwards would that be cool <laughs> i mentioned a bunch of names when we were talking about you know her influence i don't get the sense that tori amos is a big enough name carly ray jepson Maybe. I mean, the sharing of the first name is kind of fun. I I don't know that she's as big of a name as they want, especially when we're looking at last year and we did have Taylor Swift induct Carol King and we had Paul McCartney induct the Foo Fighters. Mm -hmm. I think if Taylor Swift had not just inducted Carol King, she actually would be a pretty, pretty good candidate. There's footage of them singing You're So Vain and Taylor going nuts. I think (laughs) the quote is from Taylor is that You're So Vain is the best song that's ever been written any other year. I would yep. say that's a good, and if, I guess if it doesn't happen this year, then it could be on the table. But 
Jagger's interesting. I keep thinking about Cheryl Crow. Maybe it's just because they kind of look like each other. Um, yeah, they do. You, you're on that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I found a picture of them at like the Grammys or something with their arms around each other. So there's potentially a relationship there. Because they wrote together and covered each other's songs, Michael McDonald is interesting. I don't think he's maybe as big of a name, but there's something about the fact that also the Doobie Brothers didn't get to have their own induction because it was 2020, but also nobody gives a shit about that. And then <laughs> the other names I mentioned, like Olivia Rodrigo, Alanis Morissette, I couldn't find anything having ever mentioned Carly, but the you know lineage of the song directed at a guy specifically, I, there, there's something there. And here's someone who really likes Carly Simon, I found out, which would be an absolutely left field pick from Run DMC himself, Daryl McDaniels. Is he really? Loves Carly Simon. That's so awesome. And that would be amazing. That's like big boy inducting Kate Bush kind of thing. It'd just be cool. It'd be like a cool, interesting one to see. And it would be funny if they did that and it was this year and Eminem was getting in and they announced that Daryl McDaniels was going to be there and everyone was like, of course he's going to induct Eminem and then out of nowhere he inducts Carly Simon. (laughs) That would roll. How great would that be? Usually it's a three-song set at the ceremony. Carly has had her issues with stage fright nerves. There was a famous show in the early 80s in Pittsburgh where she was like having heart palpitations and she was not well. This was her marriage was falling apart. Her son was very sick. She had lost a lot of weight and she was not doing great. She told the audience, she's like, I'm having a panic attack. I don't want to not do the show. Maybe if someone could come up here and like, just be nice. And like 50 people came on stage and it was this thing of, she says they were like rubbing her legs and stuff, which was like kind of creepy. But from her perspective, it was like nice. And like, they were there she liked it. in a supportive environment, but then also she was bleeding. It was like, it was a bad scene. Oh my gosh um and she finished out the set but in between the show she was supposed to have a second show and she like passed out and they had to like cancel it the reason i'm saying that she's had her issues with having the nerves to perform and she hasn't performed a show many artists in the pandemic era have have not performed since then i think she she'd like she would come out and do a like occasional clive davis pre-grammys party performance she I think would perform though. I think for the induction, she would perform. Do you think she pulls a Carol King though and like has people come out as well? I think she does that. She gets some support up there with her. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't see her just basking in the spotlight. Certainly doesn't sound like it. No, she's no. got to get Kunkel the drum. Get yeah. Kunkel, get Kunkel exactly. in the mix. Kunkel performed with Carol King last year. Part of the three, the dudes. The cats. The cats, that's what they were called. But I think if there's a three song set, it is, I think you have to end on your Sauvain. Maybe you start mm-hmm. with Anton anticipation almost kind of like a nod a nod to the fact that you uh, had to wait a long time to get inducted and then you know i want to say nobody does it better as the second one but maybe something from the later period just to kind of acknowledge the breadth and longevity Mm -hmm. of her career and the fact that she didn't write nobody does it better but it's also such a big one but maybe coming around again you're doing coming around again yeah yeah me too i love that song so is it it, do we think that's the three song set i think that's a great set i like that set and you know i just feel like there's many opportunities to bring out other artists in her set and i think that for her comfort and then also for our enjoyment yeah i'm excited for it to happen this year in la in la plenty of people here allison what are the if someone gave you tickets would you go to see carly simon get inducted yes 100 percent. i mean if she gets in i might i might go anyway yeah even if someone gives me tickets or not <laughs> yeah 
once in a lifetime sort of, like you said, in terms of her performing, she doesn't really, you know, she's not really on that boat anymore. So if that's going to be your one time to see Carly Simon live, that kind of seems like time. Well, we will be there. We go yes. every year. It's in the city where we live. So we'll definitely be there. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you there. And thank you so much for, for doing the show. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys. This was a blast, really. And yes. I want to give you the opportunity to plug anything you want, even if it's just your social media or whatever you want to get out there, have at it. Yeah, sure. So on Twitter, I'm at AllisonRap22, where I spout a lot of these Rock Hall opinions on, on the daily. But I'm also a writer for Ultimate Classic Rock, which is where the Carly Simon piece was. And we will be covering all things Rock and Roll Hall of Fame up until the voting and the ceremony and everything in between. So definitely check us out there and uh, see what's up. Perfect. And of course, our listeners know they can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Rockhallpod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see your message, you need to designate that somewhere in there because I'm the only one who reads it and she doesn't have any interest. But if you say it, I have to send it. So Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, rate and review us five stars only. Anything less than five would be rude, and you don't want to be rude to us. Come on. It was just Valentine's Day. And also, for the record, I do enjoy the ones that are forwarded generally. You know, I read them. If they do get forwarded to me, I do read them. I very rarely respond. But uh, if you do mention that you would like it to be forwarded to me, I do read it. And thank you for your very nice emails. And often they are quite nice. Yeah. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusuke Kim for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.